This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. you want someone who shares passions that you have as you want someone who likes hiking or you want someone who's got similar political views or if you have certain sexual interests that's why people want to date online because they don't want to sift through folks who think like oh that's a bit weird you don't want to have to explain that over and over again to potential people you can put that out there you can be relatively anonymous Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll learn about parasites, cleansing, and fiber. We'll talk about cooking with spiralized vegetables. We'll hear why some restaurants succeed while others fail. And lastly, we'll discuss dating in the modern age. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team, headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, Gordon. Thank you for having me again, Jimmy. Spring has sprung and people are out in their gardens. I'm one of those people getting in nature and perhaps eating more raw foods. And that's exposing us potentially to something called a parasite, right? That is true. Actually, I, I saw this morning on the news, a uh, news feed that came to me, there's a study that's done by the University of Guelph, and they're finding a tapeworm in that in endemic, becoming endemic in southern Ontario. One of the things this tapeworm does is that it, it can spread from, um, from wild animals to your dogs and so on, yep. and then from there it gets to you. Right, so and you know, one thing I will say about parasites: we don't think about it, we don't talk about it anymore. Yeah, you know, back in the day, I would say about you know uh, before we became so urbanized, parasites were something that everybody thought about. You know, your your local farmer, because in a more uh, what I call rural yeah. type setting, parasites are huge. Right to the point, and I'll give you this funny little story. Yeah, when I was growing up in Trinidad, right, my grandmother, right, lived with us, and I'll tell you, 
once a month. We used to get a parasite medication cleanse or type of thing. And what we would do, we'd have it on a Friday night. Yeah. You'd get this thing. And this thing tasted vile, okay? Yeah. Anyway, it was in a powder form. She'd mix it up in a, in a tablespoon and you suck it back down the hatch, right? And if, if we didn't fight too much, you'd get a candy to wash it down with. But anyway, <laughs> that was a good thing. And then Saturday morning, we got Philips Milk of Magnesia. And that basically moved it through. Yeah. And you didn't stray far from home on a Saturday. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> I'll tell you, sometimes I, I said, uh, I would rather live with a parasite than having to go through that thing anymore. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, it sounds, it sounds like quite the weekend. You know why that was so important to my grandmother? Because she grew up in rural China. And in rural China, this parasites were big. Yeah. Right? It's just that more recently in North America, we don't think so much about parasites because we live in an urbanized environment. Right. But they can still occur, right? So, so when we talk about parasites, so tapeworm is one that you mentioned, but like, what other sorts of parasites? Are we talking about ticks and, and things like that too? No, or? no, no. We're talking more about intestinal parasites for, for the purposes of the show, right? Okay. So you're thinking about things like you have tapeworms, you have wrongworms, right? Hookworms, pinworms. Those are the common ones that you'll, you'll probably see. And then there's schistosomiasis or schistosomes, right? Yes. Those type of things, right? So you have a whole bunch of these different parasites and we don't think about it normally for most of us if you're in good shape you're eating well your immune system is strong you can do well with with parasites meaning that you know you can live with a tapeworm in your system and it's not a problem right because except for the thought of it yeah yeah (laughs) your immune system really keeps everything in check right you can live with one parasite the problem with it is when you have 10 20 100 a thousand that's mm. when they, they take over, right? And that's why even for people who have good immune systems, it is a good thing to do an, an occasional parasite cleanse. I mean, back in the old days, they did a parasite cleanse on a regular basis. Right. And because they did it on a regular basis, the whole idea of doing it is to keep the numbers down. You mentioned uh, the tapeworms uh, in southern Ontario being transmitted from wild animals to pets to us, mm-hmm. other than getting from pets, how do people get parasites? Like, How does that happen? Well, one of the things is, for example, if you don't wash your fruit sometimes, okay, hmm. or I've seen people kiss their dog, right? Guilty as charged. Right. Now, in all fairness, your dog is probably healthy, et cetera, et cetera, but you never know. He, you take him out for a walk, he's sniffing here, there, and everywhere. Yep. Next thing you know, he puts his nose into something which has a, a parasite. Not necessarily a full tapeworm, but like an egg, right? right? And the egg is, is on, on the surface of his nose or somewhere like that. Next thing you know, you give him a kiss. Next thing you know, gets into your system. Now, in your GI tract, the acids in the stomach will, will kill off those eggs. However, you know, if one slips through, right, this is how you get infected, hmm. right? But as I say, if your immune system is strong, no problem, right? You'll, you'll survive. You'll probably even do well, Okay, but sometimes we know there are a lot of people who are ill. For example, let's say you have, we spoke about having the flu. Right. Right. You have the flu, immune system is down, it's a perfect storm. Immune system is down, dog kissed you, next thing you know, these things start to proliferate. Hmm. Okay? It's like having um, streptococcus, right? A streptococcus. In your throat, there's a lot of streptococcus bacteria, right. right? When you have the flu, the immune system is down, streptococcus starts to multiply like crazy. Next thing you know, you have strep throat. You need a good dose of antibiotics to get rid of that strep throat, right? Yep. So this is how it, you get it. Sometimes you eat salads where somebody who 
didn't wash it, the thing properly. And even sometimes washing it doesn't get rid of all the eggs. You know mm. that, right? Yep. I mean, if you wash like the way I wash, right? I try to wash as best as I can, but I know for a fact that sometimes there's, there's little buggies probably still floating around there, things that you can't see, right? Mm-hmm. So this is how it gets into your system. And you mentioned there are people that are more susceptible to being exposed to parasites. So other than people whose autoimmune may be compromised, who else should be particularly careful about yep. exposure? Younger kids. Yep. It's one of those. If you live in a rural environment, you know, if you get close to nature, this is the source of it. But even people who live in urban environments, they don't think they get exposed to it. But one of my favorite stories of is about, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say bad things about any type of food, but one of the things is sushi, right? A yep. lot of raw fish. Of course. Pick up the parasites as they, whatever the fish ate in the ocean. So again, it's the quality of the fish that you're getting, right? Yep. You have so many different sources. I mean, even things like cleaning out your cat litter, right? Yep. There's a parasite that is known that cats can carry, and it is in the litter, and when you clean it out, you can get that particular parasite, hmm. right? So there's many different parasites that you can get. Now, unfortunately, today, public health, we, we don't really think too much about parasites because, again, being in North America, we tend to be healthier because we have a lot of food to eat, etc. But there's a segment of the society out there who do probably have parasites in there. And sometimes these parasites are responsible for a lot of the ills. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to say that everybody who's ill is caused by a parasite, okay? I don't want to be that alarmist, but it is certainly can potentially be one of the causative agents that causes certain type of illnesses. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned before your, your grandma used to take a spoonful of, of a cleanse and, and put it all together. There are foods that we can eat that can help us keep the parasites away, right? Yeah, well, they're not really food. Not to keep the parasites away. What, what it does is that it's to get rid of the parasites, to move them out of your system. Okay. Okay. Now, some people will say, does it kill the parasites or does it just move, move them out of your system? Does it make the environment nauseous or to them so that they, they want to get out, right? Okay. And I, and I usually say to people, that's not really relevant one way or the other because the key is to get it out, whether you chase them out by making the environment noxious or whether you kill them. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the things that people will use would be like garlic. The common things, okay, would be like garlic, peppermint leaf. Right. Right. Th- those are the common things. Uh, even pumpkin seed, right? Th- those are the more common ones that they would use. But if you go back into some of the Chinese herbs, and I usually like to talk about Chinese herbs because I, I always say to anybody, if anybody knew parasites, it was my Chinese brethren, <laughs> right, from back in the day. Because, right. you know, they grew up with the parasites around them. They've been a rural society for the longest time, and parasites was a big deal with them for the longest while. So they knew which herbs to use. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the things that they use for parasites would be, the Latin name is Torea grandis. There's no common English name for it, right? Because it's a, So I, I use the botanical name for it. Okay. Right? There's things like black walnut hulls that they use, right? Green black walnut hulls. Right? Yep. And then there's, you know, as I said, peppermint seeds, etc. But the whole idea with some of these herbs is that when you, when you ingest it, what it does, it can make the environment toxic or make the environment nauseous. Okay. And what that does then, if you have a little parasite, like a tapeworm hanging out or a pinworm or a hookworm hanging out, 
if the environment is noxious to it, what it'll do, it'll release and it'll come out in the stool or it might kill it. So one of the things when you do a parasite cleanse, we always suggest maybe not do a laxative, but add fiber to it so that it pushes it out faster so you didn't get a chance to hang out. And let me explain what I mean by that. Because one of the things is when you release, um, say, toxins, let's say the, the parasite dies and it releases toxins when it dies. The longer it stays in the GI tract, the more of those toxins you absorb. Right. So if you add fiber to your regimen, what that fiber will do, first thing it does, it binds to the toxins so it prevents it from going out. So it prevents it from being absorbed. Secondly, the fiber in itself, one of the things that it does, it creates bulk, and the bulking effect of the, of the fiber helps push it out, makes you have a, a ball movement. And once you have a ball movement, again, the toxins don't stay along that, that long, so the amount that your body absorbs is a lot less. Right. Okay. And if they just, if the parasites just basically detach, it's one way of getting them out. All right. So you mentioned before that uh, your grandmother used to give you sort of a spoonful of a powder in some water. Was that a cleanse? Is that is that what she was doing? We call it a cleanse, and I use the term loosely as a cleanse because it's one of those things. That the powder mix is basically a whole herb powder mix, right? And what that did is that it made the environment toxic. But the key here was the Phillips Milk of Magnesia, the second, the, the Saturday right. morning. And what that did was it had a laxative effect. And yes. because it had the laxative effect, it had, it'll help expel, right? One of the things I'm going to say is that don't expect that you take one parasite cleanse and you don't have another parasite ever in your life or it gets rid of everything. Right. No, right? no, that doesn't make sense. You'll right. never get rid of everything like that. But the key here is to keep the numbers down. Right. right, so that your body can cope with them. That's right. And for a lot of people, I've, I've always said, when it's, once you keep the numbers, because parasites have evolved with us over time. Right. Right. As long as the numbers are low, you don't have a problem, unless you immune compromise, etc. So you want to bring down the numbers even further. But these parasites, you have to keep the numbers down. The process of keeping the numbers down is what we call a parasite cleanse. All right. And there, there are many different parasite cleanses available out there. Yep. You can go take a look at and see what there is. But I like the herbal ones based on herbs just because, A, they've been tried and true. They've been around a long time. And more importantly, a lot of the pharmaceutical ones, I mean, they do a great job. But the problem with it is that the parasites, like, like um, antibiotics and bacteria, they're starting to get immune to the effects of the, of the pharmaceutical ones. And that doesn't happen with the natural ones? No, because what you do is you don't use one single herb alone. You blend the herbs together. So you, when you have a formula, you, you have something that has a lot of different compounds that make it noxious or even kill off the parasites, right? So their mode of action is different. So if you make it noxious, the parasite can't adjust to all of them all at the same time. Right. Right? So, yes, you may, let's say if one is immune to black walnut, okay? Good, he's immune to black walnut, but you know what? He'll still respond to garlic, right? Or they may be um, immune to garlic, but they will respond to Torea grandis. So the idea of a whole mix of formula, to me, is always makes sense. Okay, we have time for one last quick question, and that is, and, and I presume this is the fact, these natural herbal cleanses are not harmful to the host, which is us, right? They're safe for us? Just like anything else. If I sit down there and I consume a pound of it at a time, yes, it'll make me feel sick, okay? okay. But mm -hmm. we're not consuming a pound. I always say this to people. 
difference between a, a poison and a medicine is dosage, right? Yep. But most of these herbal products, in all fairness, the safety margins are huge. It's a lot bigger than pharmaceuticals because, again, in the pharmaceuticals, you have one active compound. And in order for it to be active, you have to crank up the, the dosage. If you crank up the dosage, you also crank up the side effects. So you have that safety margin is thin. Whereas when you do a herbal combination, there are many different compounds in there. And the compounds give you the, you, the reason you put all the herbs together is because if you look into chase parasites out, to kill parasites, for example, that combination of compounds that you get from the herbs are all additive to, to get rid of the parasite. But the side effects of each of them are probably not the same. And so because of that, right, the safety margins are a lot higher. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have today, but we'll hear back from you again next month, right? Definitely. Fantastic. If you'll have me. Yes, we'll have you. We'll always have you back. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn all about cooking with spiralized vegetables on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMED Connect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app. That's HMED Connect from your app store. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Carolyn Tanner Cohen, is owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Jamie. Great to be here. Yeah. So when we talked about what we should discuss today, I had my doubts about your suggestions, swapping out noodles 
for vegetables. I have to say, as much as I like vegetables, I'm solidly team pasta. So you got your work cut out today I to know. convince me. All right, I'm going to convince you. I'm not going to be aggressive with you. Okay, no problem. But, I, but I'm a doubting Thomas today. I get it. I get it. Okay. I get it. All right, so why would we want to do something as horrific as swapping out delicious noodles for vegetables? Okay, well, first of all, let me just say that when I'm going out for dinner, I love a good bowl of pasta. Yeah. And nothing can replace that. So right. let's let's I'm call a spade you. a spade. It is. Okay. okay. But when you're feeling like you need to take it back a bit, yeah. when you're at home making dinner on a Monday night, you could swap out your pasta for for vegetables. Oh, theoretically possible. Yeah. Yes, yes. But save your pasta for the really good ones. Okay, fair okay? enough. Okay? Yeah. And then when you're just cooking at home, why do you need to always boil up a bag of pasta? You could do vegetable noodles, no problem. No, no, I, I get it. We could. You got more work to do. Okay, I'm no, just no. saying, I'm, just, okay. just, just because you're saying we could. For sure. Obviously, you know, for some people, the issue is, you know, there's gluten intolerances. Yes. Some people may be looking to cut out some carbs, yes, right? Yes. And, and anytime you're eating vegetables, it's never a bad idea to eat vegetables. For ever, sure. Right? Yeah. And it really gets the vegetables in your diet. So let's say you cook pasta at home three times a week. Try this once. Okay, fair enough. Okay? Yeah. So one in three times, try it. And you'll slowly get used to it. I actually love zucchini noodles. I actually get cravings for them. Okay, I do okay? not. Okay, you're going to hear a few recipes today. Okay. Or a few ideas. And you might change your mind. I might. Then again, I mightn't. I do mightn't. <laughs> I, I mightn't. Like that. Yeah, it's, okay. a, it's a real word. It's a real word? Okay, um, I'm going to look that up in my Scrabble yeah. dictionary. Let's not go right to the zucchini. Okay, yeah. Let's start somewhere else. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to tell you that you can buy spiralized vegetables. Spiral- okay. Okay. Just so you know, so when I start talking about making spiralized noodles, you don't right. actually have to make them. Yeah. It wasn't the work effort. Okay. Because it, it is work, though. A hundred percent. Okay. So let's start off a little bit talking about how you could actually spiralize vegetables quickly at Fair home. Fair enough. Go ahead. Okay. So the easiest method and very cheap is a handheld little pencil sharpener type spiralizer. So it looks like a huge pencil sharpener. Right. Like the old-fashioned kind. Like okay? that you, you grind, right? N- no, not even the one you grind. Like the one, the tiny one that you hold. Oh, you just twist That you it? twist your pencil. Okay. So think of your pencil being the zucchini. Okay. And the pencil sharpener just being huge. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So you could buy one like that. And those are only about $15. Okay. They're not great. You can't spiralize a round vegetable in those. Right. You need something long like a zucchini or a carrot. Okay. Okay. Then you could go the next step and buy a spiralizer that sits on your counter mm-hmm. that has a bunch of different blades, really easy to put in and out the blades. And then you attach the vegetable to a little holder and then spin it with a crank. Right. Imagine the old fashioned apple peelers. Right, yeah, right. Okay, right. so it looks just like that. So instead of peeling the apple, you're spiralizing the vegetable. So you got to vice it down to yes. the counter. Yeah, but usually they come with suction cups. Okay. Okay, so those work really well too. They're not expensive. They're about $40. And you could buy all of these at any kitchen gadget store. Right. Like any kitchen gadget store. So those are the basic home models. So you don't have to invest in a huge one that attaches to your uh, your food processor or one that attaches to your mixer. They ha- people may those. have those. Do the, do yes, the spiralizers come with the basic kits for, for a lot of these? bigger appliances? No, they don't. So for instance, my for instance, my KitchenAid uh, processor and uh, my KitchenAid mixer, you could buy an addition, but they're like three hundred dollars. Okay. And I actually don't think they're that much better than the cheap ones. Okay. So I'm happy using the pencil sharpener. 
And if you didn't have these attachments, you could still find spiralized vegetables oh, yeah. in the supermarket now, Every right? single grocery store has them now. In the vegetable section, right. usually where like the packaged vegetables are, where maybe like the packaged salad or lettuce. Like slaws are, yes. stuff like that. Yes, they're I, there. I suppose the only downside is once you start processing a vegetable, the shelf life isn't going to be as long as if it's whole, correct? Absolutely. And that's another reason why I like to do it myself. Right. Because once it's been sitting on the shelf for four or five days, it could be a little bit slimy. Okay. I don't like that. All right. So presuming, and it's a big presumption, yeah. that you've got me to the point where okay. I've got spiralized zucchini, for example. Okay. What do I do with it to make it taste good? Okay. So the most basic recipe yeah. is just cacio de pepe zucchini noodles. Okay. I, I've done this before with spaghetti squash. Actually. Yes. Okay. So I like it with zucchini noodles, but it works exactly the same way with spaghetti squash. So what you do is you take a fry pan, yep. heat up your fry pan, put a little bit of oil in your fry pan once the fry pan's hot, mm-hmm. throw in your zucchini noodles or your spaghetti squash, but we can get into spaghetti squash after, toss the zucchini noodles for about one to two minutes, mm-hmm. add tons of cracked black pepper, mm-hmm. turn the heat off, yep. and add tons of Parmesan cheese. Okay. okay. So for a, true, for a true cacio e yes. pepe, it isn't actually Parmesan you it's use. It's true. It's you Romano. Use, it's Romano yes. cheese. Yes. Which yes. is different. It's a little saltier. Yes. It's a little sharper. You could use either. There's yeah. also other stuff usually in that as well. But this is sort of like basic, easy, at home. Right. Easy grocery store ingredients to make. Okay. What else do you got for So us? that's basic. My favorite thing is mm-hmm. doing the exact same thing with the zucchini noodles, but throwing in some pesto. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you could buy store-bought pesto as well, and that's super easy. The second thing I love to do is put, making a fast tomato sauce right in the same fry pan. So what I'll do is I'll take you know, a box of cherry tomatoes, cut them in half, mm-hmm. heat up the olive oil, add a little bit of minced garlic, add the cherry tomatoes, stir-fry the cherry tomatoes, throw in the raw zucchini noodles, mm-hmm. toss that into the cherry tomato sauce that we've just made. Right. And you have a quick dinner. The zucchini's noodles soften very fast. Right. Okay. And if you leave them for too long, then they become very mushy. Right. You don't want that. No, you want them al dente. Right. Can we use a pasta word? Al dente. Al dente. Well, yep. uh, I find with the cherry tomato sauce, and I make it regularly, actually, yep. uh, usually by the time it takes to boil the water for your pasta, yeah. the sauce will be made yeah. if you've got it on a moderate to moderate high heat. Right. And then what you do is you allow the sauce to sort of gel, and you have to use some olive oil. You're going to have to put a little olive oil in there to make sure that the sauce comes together as a sauce. Yes. But the benefit of the uh, smaller tomatoes, like the cherry tomatoes or the grape tomatoes, is they cook down very quickly and they tend to be have a more pronounced sweetness and sharpness to them yeah. than a larger tomato. Right. So that'll pair really well with the zucchini noodles. Right. And it, it really is fabulous. It yeah. really is fabulous. But just remember, you do not need to boil your zucchini. They are not noodles. They're still a vegetable. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So a lot of people think they got to boil the zucchini noodles. No, no, no. They get thrown into your sauce raw or they get thrown into a hot fry pan raw. Okay. 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 I think we should move on to something that nobody really makes. All right. Sweet potato shoestring fries. Okay, I make sweet potato fries, but not not shoestring. Yeah, so if you spiralize a sweet potato or buy sweet potato spiralized, Mm -hmm. you heat up your oven to about 400 degrees, line a cookie sheet with parchment paper, or you have to clean the cookie sheet, and who wants to do that? Mm -hmm. Toss your your, um, sweet potato noodles right on the cookie sheet that's lined with parchment with a little bit of olive oil. Mm -hmm. You could use coconut oil, you could use sunflower oil, and then 400 degrees, you bake those babies for about 30 minutes, Toss them once during the cooking time, and you'll have you'll have shoestring fries. So even though they're spiralized, they still cook for a half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Because I know what I tend to do is with a sweet potato 
sweet potato. I can peel them and perhaps even parboil them for a bit. Don't do that. Or, well, it depends. If you're putting them on the grill, you, you, you sometimes oh, want yes. to do no, that. Oh, yes. No, I'm talking about just the sweet potato noodles. Yes. Yeah, no, but I'm saying yes. when, when I'm slicing them, when I'm making a sweet potato chips, yes. just to make sure there's an even cook to them, you can parboil them. For sure. And then roast them off in the oven. Yes. With a little bit of olive oil. Absolutely. And they will get crispy on the outside. For sure they will. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if you're going to make shoestring fries, you yeah. don't cook them before. Right. You just throw them right on. And the reason why they take almost half an hour is because they actually get wet before they get dry. That's true. Okay. So that's why they actually take so long. But definitely toss them around a little bit. You're going to get a few charred pieces in there. I was going to say, with sweet potato, there's a tipping point where yeah. they, they can blacken very quickly they if you're do. not paying attention. But those parts are actually quite good when you're eating bits and pieces of them yeah. within your lot. I hear you. Okay. Can we talk about spaghetti squash fast? We can. Okay. So spaghetti squash, you take a spaghetti squash, you cut it in half in the length. Yep. You scoop out the seeds. Yep. And you put it on a lined cookie sheet. I line it with parchment again. Yeah. You cook them up or down. You, so what you do is you oil up the inside of the spaghetti right. squash, the flesh, and then you cook it flesh down. Flesh down. Okay. Flesh down, but cut in half. Yep. Okay. And then you cook it for about... 20 to 40 minutes. It really depends on how big your spaghetti squash is. Yep. And then you'll know it's ready because the outside of the skin starts to get charred and blistered in spots. Can you eat the skin for spa- no, spaghetti squash? No, you really squash can't. Squash? No. So then you take it out of the oven, let it cool until you can handle it, and then comb it through with a fork in the opposite direction, so crosswise in the right. width. Right. So you're, you're actually separating the strands yes. of the spaghetti squash to create the spaghetti. Exactly. Because it's still firm. When you cook it like that, it's not going to fall apart. No, it doesn't fall apart. And it actually doesn't look like anything once it's cooked. Right. You actually have to comb it out with a fork. Yeah. So then what I do with that is when I'm making a pasta type dinner, right. I'll use that as my pasta in place of regular pasta. And it's amazing with tomato sauce. It's fabulous with pesto. Uh, I love it with tahini actually. So if you drizzle it with a little bit of tahini, it's delicious. I mix the tahini with a little bit of lemon juice and salt and pepper. Right. And then I drizzle the tahini just over the spaghetti squash noodles. It's delicious. Believe it or not, it's delicious. You could even sprinkle some basil on top of that. And again, the fresh cherry tomato sauce. Fantastic. Yeah. Delicious. All right. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have, but you'll come back next month. Absolutely. Can't wait. We've got to take a break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Our new sponsor, Camprev, is a great natural health company, homegrown right here in Canada. What I love about Camprev is that they take the time to choose the best quality ingredients and formulations that empower Canadians to take an active role in their own health and wellness. New from Camprev is their unique vitamin K2 called K2 Vital. It's produced from soy-free plant oils in a way that yields a pure 100% transform of K2 that is 100% usable by our bodies. They also take a lot of care to produce educational resources. To learn more about this misunderstood vitamin, you can download their ebook at vitamink2.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
My next guest, Vito Marinuzzi, was born and raised in Toronto's East End and came up in the restaurant industry the old-fashioned way, through nepotism. His cousin, restaurateur Gino Rana, hired him as a 15-year-old dishwasher and busser and later gave him a shot as a waiter. Vito's job was as much to fight the prevailing whitewashed version of Italian food in Toronto as it was to get people to try the good stuff, and he did. Now, as co-owner with his famous mom of two locations of seven numbers on the Danforth and Eglinton West, Vito knows the food his kitchens prepare not only preserve that culinary heritage, but innovate within it. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Thank you very much. Good. How are you? Good. So today we're going to talk about something that is right in your wheelhouse. and that It it is. (laughs) It's uh, because, you know, you've opened and successfully ran restaurants and it looks easy from the outside, but I know it's not. There's a lot that goes into it. And yeah, I thought it was a good follow-up to our last conversation, which was pet peeves. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I went out and I thought to myself, like, let's stop looking at the pet peeves. When did I become an old curmudgeon? <laughs> and I started to think about the restaurants that had that chemistry that you feel it as soon as you walk in. Right. So I, anyway, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about why some restaurants have it and, and succeed right from the get-go and others struggle. What, what do you think? Is, is it a lexicon? Is it a series of different things they're getting right? Or is there one it, key issue? Uh, it's got to be. Well, you know, it's just, some would say it's a key issue. Like, you know, stems from the top. And if, if the top is doing the right thing, then it all kind of trickles down to the dining room floor. But I think it's more than that. There's so much going on. Um, and the way people run restaurants and how tight the budgets have become and how right. staff are treated. Um, so, yeah, but when you walk into it, I walked into a couple of restaurants in the last few weeks and thought, oh, there's that magic. There's that chemistry that happens when everything is just perfect. And then you walk into some where they're trying so hard to make sure that the, the restaurant is perfect and it's on trend and it's making money and all of those things. And you really feel it as a customer. And you say, like, the restaurant's great. Uh, the food was delicious. But, like, the waiter had fear in his eyes and the kitchen was pretty angry looking. And, you know, you, you notice those little things in the restaurant that don't make that chemistry, that moment happen. Okay, yeah, and I think I understand what you're saying. Like, you know, that there's a there's a lot to balance uh, between the front and the back of the house and the customer experience. There's a lot that can go wrong. Absolutely, uh, and it's if, a big production. It's like a theater. It's a, you know, we have in our original restaurants we hung theater lights, like what they call rock and roll cans. Yeah, and I because th- I always thought like that's what we're doing. We're putting on a production for sure. There's the actors. There's the screenwriters. There's the guys behind the scene. There's the guys doing the lights. There, you know, there's all happening in the restaurant. So yeah, if that theater scene works properly, then you really feel it as a, as, as a customer. Okay. So let's talk about opening a restaurant. And when you're trying to create that magic, and I appreciate a lot of it is sort of intuitive, mm-hmm. but what, what are the sort of things that you think about when you think about opening a restaurant and what's going to be important for it to have that magic? Well, there's an organized chaos that you almost need in the room to create that um, that vibe in the restaurant. Right. And if it's too slick, then it's maybe it's a fine dining restaurant. It's too slick. It's too perfect. You've thought about every glass, every fork, where it'll sit, where the pan will lie. You know, and then you've, maybe you've overthought it. But I always think like of the flow of the restaurant. You know, how will the food come out? How will it get to the table? Will there be waiters sort of bumping into each other for a second? Will the, will the bartender be you know nearby to hear the drink? order and intuitively start making it. Then there's all these little things that I think about when I'm putting it together and I want some organized chaos. So if you go to my mom's, you know, where my mom is, she's in the front window. I mean, her, right. her request was an office with a view. So we put the kitchen right in the front window. So you walk in and there's immediately energy, like, and a lot of energy. Oh yeah. 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 And then you're, you know, you're lined up next to the bar and then you're into the dining room. And so like, we've created that 
assuming customers are in the room and the music's on, it'll all sort of start to happen. We didn't overthink it, but we thought about it just enough to get us to that point. That makes sense. I guess, you know, like, like when you go to buy a house, uh, I'm, I'm creating a, a long-winded analogy here, so bear with me. <laughs> so, you, you know, you look at all the bells and whistles. Oh, that has nice cabinetry. It has a nice flow. It has a nice this. But then underneath it all, if you're really serious about buying the house, you got to look at the electrical. You got to look yep. at the plumbing. You got to look at the masonry. So what, are, what is the electrical, plumbing, and masonry of a restaurant? I, I, I presume like a starting point is location and, and, you know, the space itself, right? Well, there's enough restaurants in Toronto today that will tell you like location's a lot, but not everything. Oh, yeah? We've got a few, well, we've got a few pretty awesome restaurants that are in very strange locations around town. There's one above a subway station. Yeah, <laughs> which is an excellent one. Excellent right? one, yeah. I, I was there recently. And, and, you, I, and, you, and you can hear the rumbling underneath the... It, yeah, you, you, it's, you're talking f- about... I presume you're talking about brothers, I right? am talking about brothers. I, I don't... Yeah. Uh, I never felt more... You know, it sounds cliche, more New York in a restaurant than I felt there. 100%. You know, but they've, like, that bar is way too tight against the wall, and you got to squeeze behind the bar stools. And, and there's no natural light. And no. You feel like you're eating in a closet, and yet you also and, feel like you're right. in Manhattan, and the food is delicious. Yeah, and halfway through, you're like, man, that, and that's actually where I was having dinner when I thought about this. Yeah. It, it's the chemistry's there 100%. Everything's just flowing along, and some of it is incorrect, and some of it is correct, and it's perfect. Yep. Yeah. Right, 100%. So what other sorts of things do you have to think about when you're conceptualizing a restaurant that, that you know will assist in creating this organized chaos that you're looking the for? The placement of the bar is, a, for me, a big thing. How so? It has to be in the way just enough that it's not in the way, but like not tucked in the back corner. You know, if, if you don't have an open kitchen, then the bar is really your open bar. Like that's where people can see some action. Yeah. There's an energy that happens back there. Every waiter has to go back there. Every bartender has to go back there. Do you find that a lot of your patrons are requesting to sit at the bar when they're eating? Or like, it used to be you got shuffled there if you didn't have a reservation, right? right? right. But there's certain... Now there's a certain uh, demographic that asks to sit there because it's, you know, that's kind of like your cool people. Well, there's certain restaurants where it's cool to eat there. I can think, like, you know, for example, Bar Isabel is one where I sometimes prefer to sit at the bar. Yeah, it's right there. As soon as you walk in, that's all the energy is at the bar. And Le Banan is another one uh, where if you're sitting at the bar and you're watching, you know, all the raw seafood. Well, or think about just all the drinks. booths facing the bar. Like they've yeah. really, instead of having so a bar generally just has those twenty bar stools. They've added another twenty five people facing the bar on those booths. It's perfect. Like all the energy that is right there and that hallway that's in between the booths and the bar is very busy. Perfect. Yep. Right. Like, I agree. But a lot of guys would overthink that and separate it differently and maybe not create that energy because it's confusing. It like it's organized chaos. And there's the, the chaos is good to a certain degree. How much do you think the decor goes into the vibe of a restaurant? Did you have to spend a fortune to, to have that hotspot necessarily? No, I think we've proven you don't have to spend a I know, fortune. I know that's antithetical to, yeah, to, your, yeah, of to, to your openings. But, I mean, you go to a lot of restaurants. How do you feel about that? I mean, some things make sense and are beautiful, and some restaurants have fancy art, and it's pretty cool if you recognize that art. Design. I mean, I think the layout more than the design. Okay. You know, I mean, you don't need to spend $5,000 on a light fixture. Right. Uh, if that's what you're going for, I, under- I understand it, but I don't think it needs to be spent. But the placement of the booth or the leather used on, that you're sitting on sometimes, you know, that could help, sure. What do you think about sort of the experiential element, not the food, but the dining experience in the sense of like how close the tables are together or are the tables actually comfortable to sit at? Do you think that impacts on the success of the restaurant? Well, the spacing of the tables impacts a restaurant, uh, usually just in price. 
uh, you know, if you've got two <laughs> meters between tables, you're paying more. Yeah. And if they're squeezing in more tables, then you might be, you know, they're, they're trying to do some volume and pay less. And then there's some rooms you just sit in that have been there for, you know, I use barbarians as an example because that's one of our, our, you know, family spots and we, we serve their steak. But you sit in that room and there's no natural light and the chairs are who knows how old yeah. and the tables are who knows, but you feel it when you sit there. Well, it's an old school steakhouse, right, right? Yeah, and but you like, uh, you feel the history in the room somehow and the walls are covered in group of sevens and photography. It's, it's It just works and it's been there so long that it's actually now trans somehow transferring to the customer. Like it's perfect. Okay. Now we, we've talked about all the things that, you know, you would do to get things right. What are some of the things, and, and I don't want you to name names, but like stuff that you've seen that you scratch your head, like if, you know, here's a mistake that's so obvious that could be fixed that people, that restaurateurs or restaurants make uh, that kind of destined them I to mean, not most, succeed. Most, a lot of the mistakes that I see would be in the customer's, I don't know, in the customer service part. Yeah. You know, right when you phone the restaurant, they're just like, they've got an edge. Oh, we don't take eight o'clock. You know, yeah. we only have 5.30 and 11.30. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Or you walk in and you, you get that a host and they're right away telling you, you know, it's two hours for a table. There's got to be, why would you feed someone the negative? I understand what you're saying. And even in my business, if somebody's making initial contact with you, they're making a decision to give you money right. because you're a business, right? And if you're trying to create a hauteur, I think you're going to piss off more people than you're going to impress, right? Yeah, like, I mean, like you have to be welcoming. You're a service industry after all, right? I, I guess it's just, it's a low level staff member just saying, we're so busy. We don't need you here. Right. But I'm sure if that was the owner, he'd be I'm really sorry we're full. Right. You no, know, no, exactly. here's, here's a $10 off coupon for the next time you, you hopefully come back. And, and I see a lot of restaurants sort of put the lowest person on the totem pole on the phone. And I think that's a big mistake. Yep, the, the, that, that host stand up front is usually the same person answering the phone is doing the door. And they, for me, usually making the biggest mistakes. Yes. Uh, and then a lot of, there's a lot of management right now that seems to be very, I guess they're tied to numbers and the numbers have to be right. And so there's probably an owner saying, make this much. And there's a manager, you know, really giving it to the staff and the staff has a fear and not a relaxed, empowering feeling. And they come over and they have fear in their eyes and they're telling you, please order this special, please try this wine. The and, upsell. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. When it's that obvious, it's tough. I hear you, I understand you, and I'm glad you came on the show to explain what makes a hot new restaurant. <laughs> Will you come back on the show again? 100%. Can't wait. Excellent. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
My next guest, Carlisle Jansen, is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. And she's the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival. She's also the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. You can watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlislejansen.com. And you can reach her at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. Hello. So you wrote an article in the April issue of Tonic about mm-hmm. dating in the modern age of the internet and social media. Yes. A lot of people are using digital tools like yeah. online dating services and apps for meeting people. Mm-hmm. But in utilizing the technology, there are some things to consider, right? Oh, completely. Um, uh, just like in any aspect of technology, you have to think a little bit about it. Um, and just like, you know, we've heard of fake news. <laughs> yes, we have, unfortunately. Yeah. There are fading, fake dating profiles. Um, Shocking. So, <laughs> so sometimes people aren't entirely truthful about their intentions, about their age, about their history, their career, their financial success, their goals, their interests, and uh, interestingly enough, their pictures. And you meet them and you're like, um, this does not jive. Was this from 10 years ago? Was right. this your twin? They look kind of like you, but not that much. So um, it's a bit of, you know, buyer, buyer or viewer beware. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess a lot of people use their own social media as aspirational right. as, as opposed to actual reality. Yeah, I mean, sure. we're all sitting at home looking at. Facebook or Instagram, uh, you know, seeing people's lives unfold yeah. in a sort of storybook way. Sure. But, but that's no, not reality. You put up what you want to put up. And certainly if you're on a dating site, you're going to pick and choose what you're going to put forward and you may or right. may not link to your social channel, right? So you might have only what's on the dating profile to go on. This shows how ignorant and out of the loop I am, right? Because, <laughs> because, because like I would presume that it's such a mistake to oversell yourself because you're just... You're just setting the other person up right. for disappointment. No, completely. Right? Completely. I mean, yeah. the first impression is really the first time yes. you meet, not, yeah. uh, not on the yeah. social media side, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, sometimes people, you know, you get a bit of a sense when you talk to them over the phone, too. Right. So uh, sometimes that's recommended as the first contact is like, you know, have a phone conversation because it saves you some time from actually going to the cafe or wherever to meet them. And you can kind of sometimes decide even when you're talking to them, okay, this is not going to work or hey, all right, I'm interested in knowing more. Right. And there are benefits, of course, completely to, to the technology, right? Yes, I, I yeah. Mean, we well, so it's a big bad world out there, right. right? And a big good world. And so, you know, if you're looking for someone who fits your particular religion, it's an easier way to narrow that down. If you want someone who shares passions that you have, um, such as you want someone who likes hiking, or you want someone who's got similar um, political views, or um, you know, you're looking for someone who has a certain income levels. There are some dating sites that will verify that for you. Right. Um, if you have certain sexual interests, like maybe you like to have sex while you're popping balloons, right? Yes, and I've heard of that. <laughs> and so here's the thing, right? If, if, if your reaction right now is like, oh, that's really weird. That's why people want to date online because they don't want to sift through folks who think like, oh, that's a bit weird. You don't want to have to explain that over and over again to potential people. You can put that out there. You can be relatively anonymous. Um, you know, maybe you only want people who live within a certain radius of where you live or alternatively there are folks who want to only date people who share the same sexually transmitted infection status as they do right so that they don't have to worry about infecting that person about having the conversation right 
I have herpes. I have HIV. This is how you protect yourself, right? It's just easier to meet someone who already gets it, who doesn't have any stigma about that, who knows how to protect themselves, and who's willing to date someone like you. Yeah, I can see those positives, but I also, I, and I think this is endemic with, with social media. Yeah, it's created tribalism, right? Mm-hmm. Where you end up in an echo chamber, where if you're only looking for somebody of a particular type. Right. That happens to be your type. Right. That's all you're going to exist in in that little bubble. Sure. And yeah. you may be missing out on all sorts of wonderful people. Yes. Who may not think the exact same way that you do. Yes. Uh, and I, t- to my mind, that that's a bit unhealthy. I mean, obviously, I yeah. understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sort of I agree. The filters that people go sure. through. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that's when you might run into problems down the road where you find that you have your bubble is too small and you're drawing from only the people that you right. know, or you know, maybe you only want a certain kind of person, but then you get certain other qualities along with that that you don't like, and you keep striking out in your dating life. So, um, yeah, I, I do think it's good for us to broaden our horizons. Um, and uh, and but sometimes it's you know you re- something. Things are really important to you. Right. And I have a, a healthy dose of self-loathing. So right. if I were to find yeah. somebody right. who was just like me, eventually yeah. I'd end up hating yeah. them, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm not dating. I'm happily married. But right. I'm just putting yeah, it out. Yeah. This is yeah. all hypothetical. Yeah. Sure. Of course. Um, so... Uh, what type of sites are there available? Like from a technological perspective, what can you do with the new technology in terms of dating? Yeah, so I talked to Luna Matatas, who's um, um, a pleasure coach in Toronto, um, and she talked about Tinder and Grinder. Right, um, those are good if you want to be a bit more casual. Right, um, they're meeting sites. Where yeah, you, you, yeah, just brief encounters. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, or um, yeah, you're not really looking to move in with anyone. Right. Um, if you want to, you know, find someone who's more of a life partner. Um, okay, Cupid tends to be a good place to look. Right. Um, uh, some people really like Bumble because it gives women a bit more control. And right. Some people, How, why is that? What's, uh, because the women get to choose more, like who they who they they sort of make the first move. Um, and some people like that, but people of all genders like that that's sort of how it happens. Um, and uh, and the thing is also that if you pay, right. <laughs> you get a little bit more. So you can also then see um, who liked you. You can get a little bit more on their profile, maybe more photos. Um, uh, so uh, some people like those added functions. It's For some people, it's worth the money to pay for that. Okay. And do you have tips for people who might want to use these dating apps and, and, and sites? Sure. So you want to be anonymous to start because you never know who you're going to meet up with. So make sure your email is anonymous, that there's nothing identifying you. Don't take a photo in front of your building where you work that's really easy to identify or with your lanyard. Um, and when you meet, go somewhere public and neutral. Uh, so uh, meet at a coffee shop or for a drink. Um uh, and uh, let somebody know where you're going. So um, Luna recommends that you take a screenshot of the person that you are meeting and email that to a friend. Because, of course, if this person is creepy or you want to track them down and they delete their profile, you have no way of finding them. Huh. So so uh, take a screenshot of their profile and send it to a friend just to kind of be safe. Um, and make sure you keep an eye on your drink. Yes. Unfortunately, we have to do that. Um, and so uh, she actually recommends get there first. And then you can sit down. You have your own drink. You know what's in it. You can, you know, just Face the of... doorway. Keep your back to the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, right? Yeah. Most of the dates are going to be fine, but you just need to protect yourself. You just need to be aware. Yeah. 
I understand that, and and you know, I'm out of the loop. I'm not I'm not casting judgments. You know, yep. it, it, it makes sense. Yep. Um, assuming that somebody's new to dating yeah. or getting back into the dating scene, what's your best advice? Um, so start with a phone chat, as I mentioned. Just kind of see if there's uh, if that if you feel interested in pursuing, and then meet for a drink, as I mentioned. Um, and uh, she also said, actually, um, you know, uh, arrive early so that you're relaxed, right? Not, there's nothing like racing into a meeting and where you're like all befuddled and you're right. like, oh, you already feel like you've messed up um, to th- kind of throw off your confidence and not feel kind of relaxed and um, and know what you're doing. And just take it one step at a time. Um, so go for a drink. And then if there's some chemistry or you really like that person, uh, what she suggests is you don't say anything right away. So don't leave the date by saying like, oh, okay, you know, I'll see you next time or whatever. Just say like, it's really nice to meet you for a drink. Um, think about it and then send them an email the next day or whatever, however you communicate. I'm well, that, that was the famous uh, yeah. shtick in, in the movie Swingers, right? Okay. What, what is the appropriate amount of time yeah. between your date and when you, right. w- yeah. you know, two, yeah. day, two days is the new three days, three yeah. days no, is the new no, five no. days. A day later um, and, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in getting together or, you know, sorry, I'm not, I'm not sure it's a good fit. Don't get into details about like, oh, you know, I don't think you have the same interests or, you know, whatever, because then you get people challenging you. Right. What it's do you mean? A, it's not a debate. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I really like hiking. You said yeah. you like hiking. I like this. Like you don't want to get, have to justify it. Just say like, oh, you know what? It's not a good fit. fit. There's no good. It wasn't good chemistry for me. And if you get that kind of a response, okay, then you move on. Yep, that makes sense. So I find with technology, it can sort of envelop everything that is old school, mm-hmm. right? Like look yeah. what the internet is doing to yeah. traditional media. Right, yeah. But so is there still room for traditional dating Completely. in this age of, of modern technology? Completely, yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, unless you're going to stay at home and, you know, not go out. But hopefully you'll meet people through friends. You'll meet people at work. You'll meet people as you're, you know, maybe at the coffee shop while you're getting coffee. Right. Um, but I I often find that it's good to pursue your interests. So, um, you know, there are a lot of great meetup groups. If you're into rock climbing, go to a rock climbing one. If you yep. like painting, join a painting group. Um, if you like board games, if you like political organizing, um, you know, do the things that you love because that's also where you're going to find people who also like to do those things. And you're more likely to line up in terms of how you like to spend your time, your values. So do the things that you enjoy and find people naturally in those places. That's Um, good advice. Yeah. And you can also let your friends know still, right? Right. Like I'm looking, I'm looking for this kind of person. And, you know, I think still a lot of connections happen. Friends who put two and two together and say, well, I have this friend who would be great, you know, or they just keep their eyes open, right? And then they're looking for you. And Sometimes that, you know, that still works. Well, that's good to know. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today, but we're going to talk more about dating next month, right? Yes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For great articles written by Carlisle Jansen, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. 
Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss what makes a good cookbook, increasing your longevity, and more mindfulness. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.